We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. After the service this morning, um, my friend Tico and I, we, were, um, we went out to eat at a restaurant. And uh, there, were, there were just a, a bunch of girls at the restaurant. We, we <laughs> I just thought I'm going to try something here. <laughs> and one of the girls there, I just looked at her and I said, I said, eyebrows on fleek today. <laughs> How many of you, now, now some of you older folks, you have no idea what I just said. But I promise you, I just impressed every young woman in the church right now. And uh, you're, you're going to have to tell your mother what that means because they have no idea. That's just, how, how cool am I? I have five daughters. I just proved it. And, uh, you know, all the girls started giggling. And this girl looked at me and she said, that is the nicest compliment I've ever had. And... Uh, and I said to her, come over here and get a hug. I've never met this girl in my life. And then she came over, she gave me this massive hug. And I just said, Lord, just give this girl an absolutely fantastic day. And she just looked at me and she said, I feel so great right now. <laughs> you can just, you know, you can, do, you can do something to lift someone's world. And uh, you just have to have that little bit of inspiration and purity of heart and things like that. And, who knows what God can do? Hey, I want to talk to you tonight about um, getting planted uh, by the river of God. Getting planted by the river of God. Um, I, I'm going to say something. How many of you know that, that the good news is good news because there's a lot of bad news? <laughs> um, the gospel is great because the, commission, the condition of man is bad. And so I'm going to say some things tonight. Now, now the first part is going to be the, kind of like the bad news. Don't get discouraged, okay? You know, you, the good news only comes because there's bad news. So, so the first part of my message is, is kind of, it's not negative, but it's like, mm, this is not great. But then we get to the good part, okay? So just hang in there, because I'm going to use some words, and, and yeah, I just don't want you to get put off right away and say, oh, that just doesn't sound like a message I want to hear tonight. So, is that all right? Good. Okay. So, we're going to start from Jeremiah 17. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man. I told you there's bad news at the beginning. <laughs> cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. In the, in the old King James Version, it says, and makes flesh his arm. Uh, they've translated it well in the new King James by calling it strength because the arm of God was a metaphor for his strength. So in parts of the Bible, it talks about is the arm of the Lord shortened that it cannot save. And so whenever God is going to do something that displays his might, his power, often metaphorically, it talks about God stretching out his arm. Okay, when it comes to provision, the Bible talks about God's hand. He opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. So hand is more about provision, but arm is about strength. Yeah, when you guys go to the gym, what do you do? You push. Yeah, with your arms. You lift with your arms. That's where the strength is. Now, it says here, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh. In other words, this is somebody who relies purely on human opinion, human perception, 
human understanding, human uh, evaluation of life and of decisions. That's really what the flesh means. And so if you're somebody who, who lives that kind of way, your life that kind of way, you end up where life doesn't work out too well. So, so it uses the word curse, but the word curse is sort of contrasted to blessing. And you can either live your life under blessing or you can live your life under curse. You know, when, when Adam sinned in Genesis 3, God cursed the ground for his sake. Suddenly, instead of the earth bringing forth plentifully in an easy way, suddenly he's got to till the ground and there's thorns and there's thistles and there's other things growing up. And now he's really got to work hard. So that which was sort of harmonized and collaborative and going together really well, that's blessing. Suddenly now he's having to work against the power of a curse because of his own rebellion, because of moving away from God and disobeying God. Do you get that? So, so when I talk about curse here, I don't mean somebody put a spell on you or something like that. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about a way of living that leads to blessing and fruitfulness or a way of living that actually leads to things continually failing. Do you get this? And, and you, this is how it works out. You know, you sort of invest in something. Imagine planting a seed, growing a tree, and it's an apple tree or an orange tree or a lemon tree like you have over here. I love that you get lemon trees over here. We just don't have that in England unless it's in a greenhouse. We don't have the weather for it. Although we've had six weeks of incredible heat. I left that to come to your winter. See how committed I am to you. Uh, imagine planting a seed and growing a tree. And it takes about three years for a tree to get established. But imagine years four, five, and six, you get no fruit. How disappointing is that? And it's like, that's what it means when it says to live under a curse. It doesn't mean everything goes wrong all the time. It just means the things that you invest in don't end up being fruitful. Okay, you get that? That's the kind of concept here. We'll, we'll read a bit more about it. Now, he makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. He shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Now, we'll come back to more of that, but that's not a great picture, is it? A shrub in the desert. I mean, that is just not a fantastic picture. Now, we get to the good news. Here we go. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. So, so there's a contrast here. You can either trust in yourself and trust in others or you can trust in God. Now, now the issue here is one of priority. The more I trust in God, the more I'm able to trust people, but I'm not leaning on people. I'm not depending on them in that way. But if I'm only depending on people, I'm going to end up being disappointed. Do you get that? So, so um, what, what happens to this man? He's like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and he will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will he cease from yielding fruit. Um, I, I want to say a, a number of things about this. First, the first thing I want to say is this. Trusting in anything as a substitute for God is a big mistake and is always going to lead to disappointment. You see, cursed people rely on themselves and others for their strength. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. 
And he says, For we're of the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Did you hear that? We worship. We worship Christ Jesus. We worship in the Spirit. But we have no confidence in the flesh. And then he says this. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm also. And then if you read on in the chapter, he gives a sort of a long list of all of his credentials. In other words, the things that he achieved in life, some of them he had absolutely no control over. So he says, for instance, he talks about how he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's born Jewish. Nobody controls that. But here's the thing. If you're Jewish, you look down on Gentiles and you basically say, ha, I'm the chosen, I'm part of the chosen people and I'm better than you. That was the kind of attitude that was prevalent in the time of Jesus and John the Baptist. It was a kind of an ethnic pride. And, 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 And Paul says, if I have something to boast about, and then he says, I was a Pharisee and concerning the law blameless. In other words, I'm a highly educated man and you're a numpty. I'm going to control my tongue now because I'm jet lag. <laughs> but, but here's this, this great man. In, in fact, if you, if you read Philosophers Today, N.T. Wright's just written a brand new book, a, a biography of Paul. So not only is he a writer, not, a, not only is he a theologian, he's also now a biographer, N.T. Wright. He's one of my heroes. I actually got to meet him a couple of weeks ago, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, a whole of 500 people, and I couldn't believe there were, there were spaces on the front row. It was absolutely packed out. So I just walked right down the front, sat myself there. <laughs> N.T. Wright was about that far away from me. They got a selfie with him afterwards. It was just brilliant. <laughs> I'm like a teenager, aren't I? It's just ridiculous. But uh, he wrote this, this biography about the Apostle Paul. And one of the things he said in his research, he said that philosophers over the centuries have considered him one of the greatest intellectual minds that has ever lived. Now, can you imagine having the knowledge and understanding and the experiences that the Apostle Paul has? And then he writes these words. And he says this here. He says, we worship God in the Spirit We rejoice in Christ Jesus, that's in our salvation. We rejoice in our relationship with Jesus and we've got no confidence in the flesh. And he goes, I've got reason to boast about the things that I have in my life, but I choose not to do it. I don't lean on those things. I don't rely on those things. Do you know what I love about that? Is it it kind of, it levels the playing field for everybody. It levels the playing field. You know, I've got a guy in my church. He's one of the top barristers in the UK. He's a criminal lawyer and he's a barrister. In other words, you have to be a barrister to go to the highest court in the land. And he's a criminal barrister. He puts away really, really bad people. In our church, he serves on the door welcoming people. He's just a humble guy. He's got no confidence in the flesh. He doesn't boast in that. He doesn't parade it. He doesn't lean on that. He, he just knows he loves Jesus. He worships in the Spirit. And he asks this simple question, where can I serve? And you know what I say to him? You've got such a great smile. I want you on the door. Because you don't want people who can't smile on the door, do you? <laughs> Welcome to church. We're so glad to have you. Sit there. 
Have you been to those churches? I tell you, I've visited churches like that. They're scary people. You just, that guy on the door, you're definitely going to obey him because he's tattooed up to here. It's like, if he tells you to sit there, you're going to sit there. You want people who are just a bit more welcoming, smiley. He's just got a great smile. I've got another guy in my church, Dr. Paul Matz. He's a professor at two universities. He's the senior research guy over all the researchers for Procter & Gamble internationally. Guess what he does? He serves on the hosting team. A, A guy who knows how to worship God, rejoice in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh. You know, and, and, and people have no idea how brilliant some of these people are. You know what? But they, ha- they bring a servant heart. They just want to bless. And here's the thing. They, they live in blessing. We've got to be those people who don't make the flesh our strength. And, and it says here, here's the first thing about the guy. Not only does he trust in the strength of natural ability, it says his heart departs from the Lord. Do you know what I've discovered? Almost everything in life can ultimately come down to a heart issue. It ultimately comes down to a heart issue. You know, what Jesus in in Matthew 5 says, you don't have to kill somebody to, to commit murder. In your heart, you just have to hate them. You just have to say something really bad about them in your heart. And and that seed. If that seed was to grow and to bear fruit, murder would come out of it. Do you get that? That that kind of says, oh, it's like, wow, I I don't need to go to prison to be a murderer. I just need to have hatred in my heart. And so most of life is about dealing with the issues of the heart. And in here, this guy who's relying on himself, on others, who makes flesh his strength, his heart departs from the Lord. You know, I've discovered that when people, when they depart from God in their heart, that happens way before they ever leave church. Way before. But by the time somebody says to you, oh, I'm leaving, it's usually too late to help them. Usually. Because their heart has already left. It's like, well, okay, have you come to tell me or have you come to talk about it? Most people say to me, well, I've just come to tell you. I say, fine, be blessed. Be blessed. Aren't you going to try and talk me out of it? Well, have you made the decision? If you've made the decision, there's no discussion. But if you want to talk about the decision and you're open to hearing an opinion, let's sit down over coffee and I'll, I'll tell you what I think. And can I just say, whatever decision you make in life, really important decisions, big decisions, like, like moving church or like getting married or stuff like that, <laughs> Involve somebody you trust, who's got wisdom, who's a little bit older than you, who's been there, done it, and got the T-shirt. Do you know what I'm saying? I remember my daughter, you know, saying she brought a guy home once, and I did not like him, I tell you. And I didn't like him. It's not that I didn't like him because I was prejudiced. I didn't like him because I was discerning something in him. And I said to her, I don't like that guy. I don't think you should be dating him. And of course, you know, how many of you know that teenage girls like to stick it to their dad sometimes? <laughs> how many of you know that? Yeah. It's just like, well, okay. And it's like I had to be incredibly patient, you know, but one year later, dad was right. Dad was right. You were, you were right, dad. Come here. Right, right here. Let me put the towel here so we don't get the makeup on. <laughs> It's just, 
Do you know how many shirts I've ruined with five daughters? I'm telling you. It's just... My wife says, what's that lipstick on your collar? I said, that's our daughter. That's... It's hard to pass from the Lord. He shall be like a shrub in the desert. Here's the thing about shrubs in the desert. They're little and they're insignificant. The guy who's blessed is like a tree. What's the difference between being a tree and a shrub? Stunted growth. Do you know, I've met Christians who should be trees, but they live like shrubs. You talk to them and you say, oh yeah, I've been a Christian for 20 years. Really? Why are you so small then? And what they really mean is I've been a Christian for one year and I've repeated it 20 times. Because it's all about growth. That, that's, what, that, that's the beauty of this metaphor of the tree. It's about growth. It's about getting rooted. And if you get rooted in something, guess what? You grow upwards. You know, the shrub in the desert, it, it, it's got very small roots, so it just doesn't grow very big. And, and, and it's, Jeremiah's trying to paint a picture here for us. You know, in Deuteronomy 30, I, I love the way, because when we talk about blessing and cursing here, it's not like God says, oh, I'm going to bless that man, I'm going to curse that man. It's not like God does that. L- listen to Deuteronomy 30. Here's how it is. Verse 19, it says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Now, can you imagine if we were on who wants to be a millionaire? And the guy is reading the questions, you know, is it this, is it this, is it this, is it this? Is it A, B, C, or D? And then he says to you, it's A. (laughs) One numpty is going to choose B if the guy asking the questions is saying, choose A. Hello? Now now imagine that. Here is God. He's speaking to the nation. He says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose that. Choose that. And it's like, how dumb are we when we don't do that? How ridiculous are we? And listen to this. It says... Uh, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you might dwell in the land. You see, he says it's not just for you, but for your descendants. Do you realize some of the choices you make today are going to affect the generations that follow you? When I make big decisions in life, I never just think about myself. I always think about my children and my grandchildren. Think about that. When we moved to Denmark, you know, we had six kids. So the oldest daughter at that time was 17, and the youngest was four. The four-year-old was easy. We're going to Denmark. Yee! (laughs) Where's Denmark? You'll find out. The 17-year-old said, Dad, I've got another year of A-levels to do. 
I need to stay in the country and finish it. I said, yeah, we thought about that. We thought about you staying with this family. How do you feel about that? She said, oh, that sounds great. And we went with all the kids and just talked through what it meant to go to Denmark. Every single one of them. And I listened. They all had an opinion. They all had a say. And they said, is, is our voice meaningful in this decision? And I said, yes. I said, this is what I want to do, but we haven't made a decision yet. How do you feel? And all of them were saying yes, except for our 14-year-old who said, no, 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 no. And I said, well, would you be willing to go with me on a trip to Denmark? I'll pay for us to go and we'll do a road trip together and I'll show you the school potentially you could go to and I'll show you where we're going to live. And she goes, okay. (laughs) Pulled her out of school, booked a flight. And uh, when we got to the airport, there was a strike on in Denmark and we couldn't fly to Denmark. And she said, but we can fly you either to Sweden or Germany. I said to her, what would you like to do? Come on, let's do the road trip. She said, really? And I said, yeah. I said, we could go to Germany and get a train up to Denmark. Should we do that? And she said, yeah. So we did. We flew into Hamburg and then we had to go into the city and then we had to find the station. And I was on this trip. I didn't know. I'd never done this before in my life. I'm with my 14-year-old daughter. It's just really cool. And we got on the train and then we had this long journey, eventually found our way to Denmark. Stayed in a place there. And then I took her around the Bible college, showed her where we were going to stay, showed her the school. And she said to me, do I need to decide now? I said, no, I just want you to see it. I want you to think about it. I want you to ask God. I said, you're 14 years of age. I want you to pray. And then after a while, she came back and she said, okay. I said, you sure? I said, it's a family decision. We're in it together. Now, here's what I didn't say. And this is why my kids still love Jesus. Here's what I didn't say. The Lord has told me, that we need to move to Denmark as a family, so that's what we're going to do. Can I just say, that's not a great way to raise a family. Because you know what happens? People begin, your kids begin to think, you're the only one who knows how to hear from God. But when, when God is really in a decision, when God is leading a family, you know what? You can trust him to speak to everybody. Does it take longer? Yes, it does. It does take longer. Does it mean you have to be a bit more patient? Yeah, it does. But you know what? You get buy-in from everyone. You see, that decision was about our future as a family. And then when we came back to England, we made that decision. We talked out and sat down. Some of the older kids said, well, we want to stay here. And I said, cool, you can do that. You're adults. You can do that. I have a daughter who now lives in Copenhagen, married to a Dane. I'm going to have a little Viking in September. First grandchild. A Viking, yes! <laughs> but here's the thing. Blessing and curse is not so much God actively doing something. It's like he lays it out and he says, now you choose. Do you want to live in blessing or do you want to live in curse? Do you want to live in life or live in death? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. That's why I've come, that you might have it to the full. He saw people living under the effects of the curse, under the effects of the fall, and it wasn't great. He saw that people were stressed out. He saw that people were anxious. He saw that people were sick. And he said, I've come to unravel all of that. And in the cross, what we see in the resurrection of Jesus, what we see is the new creation breaking into the old creation. 
And we don't have to wait for the return of Jesus to completely see the new creation. We can begin to change things right now. We can change people's destinies. We can, we can heal sick bodies. We can see stuff happen right now because of the resurrection of Jesus. The blessing has come in Jesus' name. That's exciting, friends. So, so, so here's, here's the next thing I want to say. Um, every decision you make in life has a consequence. You're free to make your choice. You're not free to choose the consequence of the choice that you make. So it's a really good idea to think through where will this decision take me and what impact will it have on my life. So you're free to overeat. You're not free to decide whether or not you're going to put on weight. Once you overeat, that decision is out of your hands. Hello? You're free to skip classes. You're not free to choose what grade you'll get at the end of the course. You're free to become anorexic if you want to look thin, but you're not free to choose to stay healthy if you do that. You're free to cheat on your spouse, but you're not free to decide if your marriage is going to last. Do you get it? You can choose to live under a curse if you want to. You can choose to just, I did it my way. You can choose to rely only on your own understanding, your own wisdom, your own education. You, you can sing that song if you want to. Or you can make another choice. I know I need God in my life and I'm going to trust Him. Yeah. Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust is a heart issue first. It's first a heart issue. <clears throat> Trusting God gives us real strength and hope. You know what I love about the contrast here? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is the Lord. Anyone who trusts in God always has hope. If you don't have hope, I wonder what you're trusting or who you're trusting. Hope is about an expectation of something good is about to happen. And people sometimes say to me, oh, I've had so many disappointments. I don't want to live with expectations anymore so I won't get disappointed that is no way to live you are wired to live with hope with expectation you're wired that way because hope is all about what could happen in the future and and the the problem is that sometimes the disappointments in the past rob us of the expectation of good things in the future you say yeah I've tried that well okay but don't, don't let that disappointment and where it failed there be the predictor of how it's going to be in the future. Maybe there was a lesson for you to learn. Maybe there was something in your life that God was trying to get your attention over. You know, sometimes I read the Bible and I'm just amazed at some of the dumb decisions that people made. I, I can't wait to sit down and talk to Samson. <laughs> he has got to be one of the stupidest men who just ever lived on the planet. Can you, now imagine that. He's, he's got this girl, Delilah, and she's a hottie. The Bible tells us that. It uses different language, but you know, that's where it's going. <laughs> and he's really enamored with this Philistine girl. I mean, he likes her. She's got it all. 
And, and he's with her and she says, Samson, you know, the Philistines come to her and they say, you know, if you don't find out where Samson's strength is, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill your family. Oh, that's good, isn't it? And so she says to Samson, Samson, you know, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Tell me where your strength lies. And so he lies to her. You know, he says, well, if you put these things in my hair, you know, and, uh, and, and plait them together, he says, my strength will go. So she does. While he's asleep, she's doing it. She's plaiting his hair, putting these things in his hair. And then she's, she wakes him up and she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And they come and they break into the room to arrest him and he kills them all. Now you'd have thought after she did that the first time that you'd be a little suspicious the second time. You know what I'm saying? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But she does it a second time. Another deal. And then the Philistines are upon you. They come in the room. He beats them all up, kicks them. And uh, he doesn't learn his lesson. And I just want to say to him, what were you thinking, man? Like most people would learn the lesson the first time. But you did it three times and they shaved your hair and they poked your eyes out and it's like, you numpty. <laughs> he just didn't choose life. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't choose life. He, he didn't learn from the lessons of life. I'm always amazed at how people could, will do the same things over and over again and think they'll get a different result. Come on. You know, I think after the second time, he says, Delilah, you know what, darling? You look really, really good, but this isn't quite working out. It's over. He should have dumped her. Honestly. Sometimes the kindest thing you can do to somebody where it's not working out is just dump them. It's over. I've got five daughters. I say this stuff all the time. Just dump the guy. Dump him. Tell him. Just ring. Send a text. We're finished. Smiley face. Have a good life. Be blessed. <laughs> Ladies, let me give you some advice here about men. Men do not understand hints, subtlety, nuance whatsoever. Not at all. It's like, that, it's like Jim Carrey from Dumb and Dumber. You know, where he asks the really attractive girl out and he says, what do you think the chances are? One in a hundred? And she says, more like one in a million. And he goes, so you're telling me there's a chance. That's exactly how men hear it when it's attractive woman involved. They want to configure your words in some kind of way that there's a chance. The only way to deal with men is to say it in the bluntest, cruelest, hardest possible way you can possibly imagine. And then afterwards, be kind. You just say, sorry, this is never going to happen in any planetary system or dimension that you could possibly think of. It's over. Now, can I bless you? All this is free. <laughs> Let's look at this contrast. Three things about the guy who's like a shrub in the desert. 
First of all, he cannot see when the good comes. Wow. He cannot see when the good comes. Do do you realize that, that when you rely on something other than God ultimately, it blinds your discernment. You, you cannot interpret reality correctly. And when good comes in your life, you just don't see it. Do you know we live in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the world, in the Western world? So in other words, if you have a bed, if you have food, if you are able to keep warm and you have a car, you're in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the world. Don't tell me your life's not good. Don't tell me your life's not good. She dumped you. Get over it. I mean, cry if you need to cry. Talk to your friend if you need to talk to your friend. Get counseling if you need to get counseling. Learn a lesson. Why did she think you were a bit of a jerk? You know, learn a lesson from it. Or maybe she was the jerk and it's the best thing that could have happened to you. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Did I tell you the story about the girl in Germany? I can't remember if I've ever shared that story here. But I was preaching in Germany one time. And halfway through the message, I just kept on making eye contact with the girl, this girl. And, and it, it actually felt uncomfortable after a while because it was like the Lord was turning my head. It's like, oh, I'm looking at her again. So I walked over here, you know, and then boom. Oh, there we go again. We did it again. <laughs> and it's like, in the end, I said, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say? And he said, I want you to say something to her. So I stopped speaking. And I literally looked at her and I said, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? And a phrase came into my head, and I just thought, well, that sounds very unimpressive. Can you give me something else? (laughs) Preacher's confession time. And so anyway, I had this phrase in my head, so I said this phrase. I said, I just feel like God wants me to tell you this. He never takes away the good without giving the better. He never takes away the better without giving the best. And then she started to cry. She's on the front, she's just, ah, she's sobbing away. And I just thought, oh, well, okay, it meant something to her. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, I mean, none of you w- went, wow. <laughs> you know, did you? Really? Come on. And uh, so I, I carried on, finished my message. And then afterwards, she came up to me and she said, I've been engaged to a boy for two years. We were meant to get married next month. And he broke it off. Everyone kept saying how good he is and how good we are together. And then you looked at me and said, God never takes away the good without giving the better. And he never takes away the better without giving the best. She said, I felt like you put hope in my heart for the first time. Just a girl who loved the Lord. And uh, it, it it was just so lovely. So fast forward five years. I'm in another part of Germany. I'm in a meeting and I'm preaching away. And after the end of the meeting, a young man walked up to me, big smile on his face. He walked up to me, shook my hand. He said, I just want to tell you, I'm the best. (laughs) Now, five years have gone by, so I haven't made the connection, you know. And he said, you were in this part of Germany and you spoke over a young lady at that time. And she was very broken hearted. But two years later, she met me. Now we're married, expecting our first child. And then she walked from the back of the room, very, very pregnant. She came up to me and she said, you absolutely changed my life that night. She said, you put hope in my heart. And this guy is way better than that guy. <laughs> Why settle for the good when you can have the best? 
Who wants a Ford when you can have a Ferrari? You know what I'm saying? Oh, all the guys are now interested, aren't they? Yeah. Come on, there's good in your life. Discernment will block your judgment. It will cloud you. Listen, when was the last time you celebrated something good in your life? Just when was the last time? When was the last time you just woke up in the morning and said, God, I'm alive, thank you. You want to know what that's like? Talk to Brigida. I am so delighted to see you. I'm telling you, I'm just so filled with joy. Just to see you, you look at your smile, just the destiny that's still on your life. It's still there. The devil tried to take it away, but he didn't succeed. We celebrate that. We celebrate it. It's just good. You, you've, you've got to find things to celebrate in life, the good things. You know, we had a daughter who just graduated. You know, she graduated at 34 years of age. She, she hated school, hated education, went off. She became a manager in Hard Rock Cafe in Copenhagen. Then she worked for a top hotel, a uh, five-star hotel, and she did all that stuff. And, you know, after years of doing that, she said, Dad, there's more in me. I know there's more in me. And I said, well, just what do you want to do? She said, I want to go to university. I said, I kind of thought, okay, this is really different. This is a kid who hated education, hated school. I said, well, if that's what you want to do, here's the road you're going to have to take. Because you missed out all those exams when you were younger. You're going to have to do it. You want to get to university? You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. She says, I'm ready. And she just, we just were there at her graduation. She just was one of the best students at the university. The professor said she's going to be one of the best in, in architectural design. That's what she's doing. And it's like, it doesn't matter when you get there. Really, it doesn't, honestly. If you stuff up when you're younger and you don't have great teachers or you get bullied at school like she did and it doesn't work out, listen, you can do it later. Just don't let anyone rob you of your destiny. But you know what? We had a massive celebration. I just said to, to my wife, I said, this is going to cost us a lot of money, but it's going to be worth it. Man, that was one of the most expensive restaurant bills I've ever picked up in my life. <laughs> Listen, not only can, he, can, can a person who's a shrub not see the good when it comes. Here's the thing. The blessed man doesn't fear the heat when it comes. What a contrast. Here's one who doesn't see the good. Who's one who doesn't care about the bad? He doesn't fear the heat when it comes. You know why? Because he's not relying on the rain. He's got a root. He's by the river. He's got a secret supply. Listen, I'm all for revival, but revival's about rain. Elijah was living in revival during a drought. He had a relationship with God. He was able to divide the Jordan. He was able to call down fire from heaven. That's a man filled with revival in a time of drought. Why? Because he's like a tree by the river whose roots go down. He's always green, even in a time of drought. He doesn't fear the heat. Oh, some people, you know, you listen to them. It's like, oh, I'm just going through it right now. Oh. And you can hear what comes out of their mouth. It's the heat. They're just talking about the heat. Come on. If you're planted by the river, you don't, you don't fear the heat. Here's the second thing about the guy who's, got, who's a shrub-like person. He lives in a parched place. 
He's constantly thirsting for something he can't have. It's a, it's a desert. Listen, the Bible says in Matthew 5, if you thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. But the guy who is the blessed man, he's not anxious in the year of drought. He's not anxious in the year of drought. Why? Because he knows that even if there isn't rain, there's a river. Do you know what I'm saying? Come on. Where's your supply? Here's the, here's the last thing. He lives in a land that's uninhabited. It's not only parched, it's uninhabited. People who live under the curse are lonely people. You know why? Because nobody wants to live where they are. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. And then it says he rages against all wise judgment. So a man who isolates himself, he's, he's, he's like the shrub in the desert. He just pulls away from everything. It says he seeks his own desire. Another way of saying that is he's got his own agenda. And then it says he rages against all wise judgment. Do you know sometimes I tried to talk to people like that as a pastor. And you know what? They rage. They literally, who do you think you are judging me? I'm not judging you, man. I'm trying to help you. Your life doesn't sound like it's great right now. You don't sound like you're in a great place. I'm trying to, I didn't ask for your advice. No, no, I'm a shepherd. I'm trying to help you, man. I've come out into the desert here where you are to call you back. They rage against all wise judgment. It doesn't matter what kind of wisdom you share. It doesn't matter how you say it. You know what? It provokes them. They just get angry. Come on, let's, let's not be like that. Let's not be these people who isolate ourselves, who are always living in a lonely place. When I talk about a place, I'm not talking about geography. I'm talking about place as in a disposition, as an attitude of heart, as an outlook on life. That's what I mean when I talk about a place. And sometimes you need to move places. Sometimes you need to shift that attitude. Sometimes you need to break out of something. L listen, it's okay to go through certain things in life. I, I remember we had a very difficult season in our church 10 years ago. And, and people were going through a really, really bad time. And I said, look, you're allowed to grieve. You're not allowed to despair. You're allowed to be disappointed. You're not allowed to give up. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're allowed to be angry. You're not allowed to become resentful. Hello? And, and, you know, it's like, because what happens is, there's a line you can cross. Over here, the Bible says, be angry and don't sin. We're meant to get angry at some things. But you know what? If I cross the line and I'm just resentful now, that's not Christianity. That's not the blessed life. That's not what God has called you to. You need to repent of your resentfulness and let it go. Because you will become a very bitter person if you don't do that. It will destroy you. You won't be fruitful. You'll be like the shrub in the desert. Your life is like a cursed life. Don't be that way. <laughs> I love the last thing here. In contrast to being lonely, and in a parched land, the blessed man never ceases from yielding fruit. God has called you to be a fruit bearer, friends. Thank you.
God has called you to flourish. Let me read to you one last scripture from Psalm 92. And then we'll pray. It says this. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Do you know what I love about the palm tree? The palm tree is the only tree in the world that when there is a gale force wind, it can bend and touch the ground because it's a sign of humility. When the storm comes, it humbles itself under the power of the storm rather than breaking. It's const- it, the way a palm tree is designed on the inside is absolutely fascinating. And then when the storm goes, you know what it does? It comes right back up again. The cedar here, the cedars are the tallest trees you could find in the Middle East. They, they, they just reach to heaven. And, and the Bible here is saying, we're going to be planted in the house of God. We're going to flourish like a palm tree. That when the storm comes, we'll bend. We won't break. We're going to be like the cedars reaching up to heaven. When we're planted in the house of the Lord, they'll flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. I tell you, the older I get, the happier I am that that verse is there. You know, the great thing about life is no matter how old you get, you can stay relevant if you have a youthful spirit. If you have a youthful spirit. I remember... um, our young youth pastor, he's, he's actually now an associate pastor now. He leads one of our locations in London. And um, he said to me one time, he said, will you come and speak to the youth? 14, 15, 16 year olds. I said, really? Do they really want to hear me? And he said, don't you get it? They love you. They love it when you spend time with them. They love it when you speak to them. And I just was beginning to see myself as this codger, you know, this older guy who's perhaps just, you know, becoming a bit irrelevant. But, but if you stay connected and planted and you stay fruitful, you'll never be irrelevant. I had one of the best times of my life with our teenagers. Just one of the best times. I want to say to some of you older folk here, come on, just stay planted. Listen, if you get planted by the river, you'll be planted in the house of God. That's what it says here in in Psalm 93, 92. And then the last thing is, they shall be fresh and flourishing. Do you know in this verse, three times the word flourishing is used. It just means to, to grow without hindrance. That's what it means to flourish. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my God and there's no one righteous with Him. That's the last thing I want to say. People who get planted are people who have a testimony. They speak about the greatness of God. They speak about the goodness of God. They speak about the faithfulness of God. There is no unrighteousness with Him. Hey, what comes out of your mouth? What comes out of your mouth is telling you where you're planted. Are you like a shrub in the desert? Or are you like a tree by the river? Are you somebody who doesn't see the good when it comes? Or are you somebody who doesn't care when the problem comes because you're not afraid? 
you're not anxious in the year of drought. You know you've got a secret supply. You know you've put down roots. You, you know that you are in God and you're trusting Him. You're not leaning on the arm of the flesh. You're leaning on God. You know He's going to take you into your future. You know He's going to take you into your destiny. You see, when I look at the church, a lot of people look at the church and see all the problems in the church. I look at the church and I see its potential. I look at the church and say, wow, look at all those people. We need to clean them up. We need to train them. We need to develop them. We need to help them to have faith. We need to help them to to take hold of life and do it well. Because every single one of us has baggage. Every single one of us has history. But that's not a disqualification. And and my appeal to you is don't be like Samson who never learned the lessons of life doing the same stupid stuff over and over again till he completely lost his vision. But you know what? There's a little verse there in in Judges that really, really blesses me because there he is. He's in a dungeon. His vision's gone. He's been beaten. He's been ridiculed. He's been mocked. And then this one little verse comes into play and it says this, and Samson's hair began to grow again because it's never over with God. There's always a new opportunity. There's always a new beginning. You can do the dumbest things in life and God will give you another chance. You know what I love about that story is here's this great man who was led by a child to the temple, to the pillars of the temple. And you know what? I think God put out his eyes so that his focus would be good. Because now he couldn't be distracted by Delilah. It was no longer the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. It couldn't touch him anymore. The only thing he could see now was a vision of Jesus. And you know what happened when he pulled that temple down? He destroyed more Philistines in his death than he ever did in his lifetime. Sometimes your end can be greater than your beginning when you learn to trust God. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.